Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Um, we are back, and I don't know what number episode this is because it's a new series, but yeah. um, we're in the middle <laughs> of a new series. Um, on faith and doubt, and we have my friend Glenna Marshall on. She, um, we, gosh, when we we met at She Speaks, how many years? Yeah, ago was I think that? So. Um, it it's been two years. Yeah, yes. yeah. So really, has it been two years? Wow. Okay, so yeah. approaching like two and a half years. Yeah. So um, we met there, um, a group of women um, with Hope Riders, which I've talked a lot about on this podcast. But we got together, and for some. Unknown reason or God reason or whatever, we've stayed as a boxer group together. Like we started this like little boxer group of hope writers that were at She Speaks that got together there and it is, we've stuck together and we still talk and it's, um, we've seen each other through a lot of things and it's been a great group. So I am grateful for Glenna and all the other women in that group. But Glenna, do you want to introduce yourself, where you live, what you do, kids, husband, all that? Yeah, sure. Well, I am a pastor's wife. I was born and raised in West Tennessee, and my husband dragged me to Missouri. What part? About, about 14 years ago. I'm sorry? What part of West Tennessee? Jackson, Tennessee. You are not from... My husband's family is all from Jackson. No way. It's We're going to talk about my, that after we My family stop. still lives there. Okay, yes. Yeah, well, we'll have to talk. Weird. <laughs> Y'all, because that's not like a... like. I've never met anyone else from Jackson who was not. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a small town, but I mean, it's kind of between Memphis and Nashville. So those are really the cities everyone knows. It's the hub city. That's what they call it. It is the hub city. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And I loved, I love Jackson. I mean, my parents still live there. I love going home and I went to college there too. And that's where I met my husband and we got married and went there for a couple of years. Yeah. We went to union. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we lived there for a couple of years while he was on staff at a church. And then he was finishing up his seminary degree. So we ended up moving to a rural area of Southeast Missouri about 14 years ago, where he started serving as pastor for a small local church there. And we've been there ever since. And we have two boys. They are 11 and four. And fortunately, they are both at school right now. <laughs> so Otherwise, this interview would not be happening because my four-year-old is just kind of a loose cannon most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, they keep us busy. A church keeps us busy. And I say in my spare time, there's not a whole lot of that, but I write as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my first book came out just beginning of August and my next book comes out next June because so, she's exciting <laughs> because I am crazy and I do not recommend writing two books at the same time because it will melt your brain <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've, um, I've got a lot of behind the scenes on that so that's been fun but you're going to take a break after that right I am. Yeah. My, uh, yes. My edits for my second book are due next week. And so I planned, uh, you know, it's funny. I think it's kind of like after you have a baby, people are like, so when are you going to have your next baby? So uh, you get that with books. Like you turn in a book, it comes out. So what's your, what's your next book's going to be about? And I'm like, guys, I just, I have nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I have nothing. I need a good long break just so I can live my life a little and think about some things deeply enough to come up with the topic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and Glenna is also a musician, piano, 
voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I do some songwriting and I have an EP that's out like anywhere that you download or stream your music. And then um, I just released a single in conjunction with my book that just came out. This song is called Faithful Love and it has a lot of crossover material from the book. That was fun to do. Just a yeah, I just kind of released that as a little extra for the book for people who pre-ordered. But you can also find that anywhere that you stream your music. And so um, it's funny because I was just talking with someone about this the other day that book writing has really uh, drained my creativity. I have not written a song in almost two years, and I'm a little afraid that I've lost it. <laughs> and so um, I'm hoping that as I take a break from book writing, I can get back into that some more because yeah. I really enjoy it. It's cathartic. Yeah, and I will say Glenna also has um, a big heart for pastors' wives, and you do a lot of speaking. You just came from an event where you I did, wives, yeah. yeah. I really like speaking to pastors' wives just because I think that there are a lot of things that pastors' wives feel and experience that they can't talk about without recrimination. And so when I get in a room of pastors' wives, I just say all of the things that they wish they could say out loud. <laughs> and I want it to be a really safe space for them to talk about, you know, why is ministry so hard and what is God's call to us as we persevere through it. And so, yeah, I just got done last weekend speaking to a big group of pastor's wives in Missouri and just loved it so much. It's always encouraging to me. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the book a little bit. The book released August 1st, correct? Um, The promise of his, uh, the promise is, I want to say of, it's not of, the promise is his presence. (laughs) There's a very big difference between the is and the of there. There is. Um, It would change the total trajectory of the book. Okay. The promise is his presence, why God is always enough. So give us a little background on why you wrote the book, the process, uh, just you spiritually as, as you develop the idea for the book. Can you kind of go into that? Yeah. Well, I think that anytime someone writes a book, it's probably a message they've had to live and learn and then continue to learn and then feel like Mm -hmm. a hypocrite as they write about it, as they keep (laughs) trying to live and learn it. (laughs) So um, I never thought that I would write a book on this topic because I lived through a long season of just overlapping trials. And some of this we'll probably get into in our conversation. Um, Infertility, really difficult church ministry, a chronic pain condition, all of these things happening at the same time. And then an adoption process that unraveled. And yeah, the whole thing kind of left my husband and me wounded and a little traumatized. Such a long window of time, just one thing after another, after another. And and I had I walked through that season with a lot of doubts about God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Was He loving me in the way that I thought He was supposed to love His people? And so, kind of coming up spiritually bankrupt and wondering, am I ever going to get out of this season? Is God still good to me if He leaves me in this season? And what am I supposed to do in the meantime? And so, I ended up doing what I would always tell anyone to do in any type of trial or suffering is to go to the scriptures. And so I spent several years uh, just walking through the Psalms specifically and then going through the book of Isaiah. And then I remember the book of John and just camping out and trying to understand what is it that God does for his people when they are suffering? Like, what is the promise there? Because what I wanted was a guarantee that he was going to end it yeah. and soon, you know? And so that is the promise I kept looking for in scripture. And on the one hand, I was pretty sure I wouldn't find it, but I was like, well, if I could read a verse just right, <laughs> maybe I can like pull some kind of extra meaning out of it, which is really dangerous. And I do not <laughs> recommend that can lead you down the path of heresy real fast. And so, um, 
I ended up just, I, I'm not even sure how it started, except that I was uh, looking into scripture and asking myself, what's in it for me? What is the guarantee I can give myself? And realizing I'm just coming up with all this, like so much self-focus and it's not helping me at all. So I turned to the question and began asking of the scripture, what does this teach me about God? Because I'm not sure what else is going to sustain me. So I would ask that question. I'd read through a book of the Bible and I would just write down every single thing that the scripture said about God's character. And over time, you know, this is happening while I'm going through this really hard season. And when I say season, I mean years, mm-hmm. um, like a decade. Mm-hmm. And over time, the cumulative effect of studying the scriptures and looking at God's character really changed the way that I looked at suffering. And the thing that really stood out to me was not that God removes his people from trials and suffering all the time, but that he promises to be with them in it. And so it was almost like, as I would read through the story of scripture, it was like there was a highlighter showing me, okay, the promise that God makes to his people from Genesis to Revelation, one of the main promises he makes is that he will be near his people. He will dwell among them. He will live with them. And that way that his presence is manifested throughout scripture um, changes as you go through the narrative. So you have like the Old Testament, you have the the tabernacle and the temple, and then you have God speaking through prophets. And um, then you have Jesus and the incarnation. You have God actually putting on flesh and living among his people. And then um, after Jesus dies, resurrects, and then is ascends to heaven, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you have God living in his people. And then the promise of heaven is that God will dwell with his people and we will dwell with him. And so as as I looked at this promise, like work its way out through scripture, it was like, no matter how much the people of God disbelieved him, no matter how often they ran after other gods, no matter how often they doubted, he just persistently promised his presence and then kept that promise. And so I thought, if this, this is the way that God loves his people, not always by taking us out of the hard thing that we're in, but by walking with us through it so that we'll trust him. Because if he always just removes us immediately, then the thing we really value is the removal from the trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we are forced to lean hard on him through the trial, then we learn to appreciate and value and trust him rather than just escape, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so as I was living through this long decade of overlapping um, trials, looking at this promise is really what sustained me. And you know, I'm so thankful. I say this a lot, but I'm so thankful that the Lord brought me to this understanding that He really is the gift of Scripture, and He really is the gift that our hearts long for. I'm so glad He brought me to that before kind of ending some of those hard things, Mm -hmm. because I needed to learn to treasure Him in the middle of it and not just afterwards. And so um, it's it's weird. I started uh, blogging a little bit about this after kind of getting to the end of that decade and one thing turned into another and it ended up becoming a book. (laughs) So, um, and so it was really, it was fun to write the book just because I got to walk through the whole story of scripture, just looking at this one promise Mm -hmm. and how God makes it over and over. And I remember turning in my manuscript and saying to my husband, if nobody reads this book, it was such a good practice for me to study the scriptures this way. It was so like just personally edifying to focus on God's presence through scripture. So hopefully when other people read it, they'll get that too. But the process of writing it down was really, really good for me. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your journey in the midst of 
seeing that promise through scripture. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing. You grew up in the church, correct? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I was in the church while I was in utero. (laughs) (laughs) My parents were faithful, faithful church people. And, you know, anytime the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if there was anything extra, we were there for it. And so I really loved the church as a child. I found it easy to believe the gospel. And I believe that the Lord captured my heart at an early age. I'm so thankful that he did. And um, as I was growing up, I had just kind of a golden childhood experience in the church and loved Jesus and loved what I knew of him. And, um, you know, really wasn't until I hit my twenties and my husband and I ran into our first big hurdle in life, which was infertility. That is really when my kind of strong, happy faith in Jesus was challenged because it was the first time that he didn't fix the problem that I thought he should fix. And so, um, so really I feel, you know, I think I feel blessed and a little bit sheltered (laughs) that it was that many years before I had to really question what it was that I believed about God's goodness and what it meant to follow Christ. And I think I missed a lot of those scriptures that guarantee that those who follow Jesus will um, suffer. (laughs) And so I thought that if you follow Jesus, then your life will be super hashtag blessed, you know, (laughs) so that everything goes well. Like if you're obedient, then God will, you know, have this wonderful path for your life, like the white picket fence dream life as a Christian. But honestly, that is just the prosperity gospel sneaking into what I believed about God and what I believed about following him. There's that's not sustained by scripture. And so as I began to wrestle with like this first big thing in my life where I wanted something that was a good thing to want, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to have children, but the Lord was not allowing it. And I mean, we were given little to zero hope and at, at the outset. And, and that has been true. We've been married 16 years and we never conceived once. And so I thought if I'm wanting something that's good, this is a good desire and God is saying no, then what what does that say to me about God's goodness? Does he really love me or does he hold me at arm's length or does he love that person more than he loves me because he's giving them what I want and he gives most people what they want when it comes to having children. And so, um, yeah, it was really at that point that I had to pin down what it is I believed about God and I had to go to the scriptures to know what was true. Because if I was just looking at my circumstances, it was like, well, God's not giving me what my want, giving me what I want. Therefore, he must not love me very much. Therefore, he must not be good. And that just leads me to this really false statement and belief about God. What I needed to do was go to the scriptures, let God define who he was. And then view my circumstances through those lens. And so, um, or through that lens. And so, you know, it wasn't until probably five, six, maybe even longer, seven years of infertility before I began wrestling with that. I was bitter for a good long time. Yeah. I hate to say. Yeah. yeah. So, so you talk. So in the book, you talk about going through the journey of infertility. You talk about God feeling this feeling of God that what you just alluded to this um, thought of God withholding something from you, and mm-hmm. you talk about and then you just talked about your your bitterness and and about how the the wound, feeling wounded and 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 you bandage that pain with bitterness. Can you t- can you talk a little bit 
about that and how that kind of goes with wandering? Because obviously, if you feel like God is withholding something from you and you start to get bitter, that is a, a is a place of spiritual like kind of where you're kind of wandering from faith. So can you talk about that process a little bit? Yeah, I in that part of the book where I write about that, um, like because the book is written in two timelines, talk about my own personal timeline and then talking through the timeline of the people of God. At that point in the book, I'm talking about the people of Israel who God has rescued from Egypt, from slavery, and has done all these miraculous, wonderful things. And yet they doubt him just, I mean, as soon as they possibly can, because he's not rescuing them or providing the things that they think that he should be giving them, which is exactly where I found myself. Like, Though the Lord has saved me and redeemed me and given me new life in Christ and made me alive in Him, this one thing that I want, He's not giving me. So I doubt Him immediately. And so I really identify with the Israelites in the Old Testament. I mean, sometimes I get really frustrated with them because, you know, they saw all these big, huge miracles and, and yet they you know, at the first sign of hunger, they're like, oh, we so wish we were back in Egypt where we had all this great food and life was amazing. I'm like, you guys were slaves. I think you're romanticizing the past just a little bit, you know? It was like cucumbers, and so, wasn't it? I, don't know. <laughs> I think I read that it was like cucumbers. <laughs> That's what they do. They do. That's they're like, yes. Um, actually, I had included that in my book and it got edited out later, but they're like, uh, oh, I wish I could sit back and, and sit around the fire and eat pots of meat and cucumbers. And I'm like, that sounds kind of gross, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It is funny. They mentioned cucumbers specifically in the passage. (laughs) Yeah. So I pick up on in scripture, everyone. (laughs) Well, you are a chef, so I can see why you picked that up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a foodie. So like I'm I'm noticing all the food talk and, you know, it's funny because it's food that gets them in so much trouble. It's quail and manna and the things they complain about that they don't have and that they want, even though God is providing them exactly what they need. And so I liken that being in that position of feeling like God is withholding something good from me to kind of wandering in the desert a little bit, which is what Israel had to do as punishment for their disbelief um, that God would sustain them when they went into the promised land. They um, believed some of the spies who went into the land and reported back that it was scary. And so their disbelief cost them, you know, this immediate entrance into the promised land and they were going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years. And so um, I think that, you know, anytime that we think that God is withholding something from us that we either need or want or deserve, I mean, let's just be honest, a lot of times it's entitlement. Like we think that God owes us the things that we desire, especially if they're good desires, like, it's not a bad thing to want to be a mom and to have children. Like that's a good desire. And I think that, um, so the problem is, is that even good desires can become idols in our life, which is definitely what happened to me. And I see that happen, that happened to Israel too. The things that they wanted, but didn't have were like, they became really single mindedly mm-hmm. focused on that one thing. And so that becomes an idol and a thing that we worship rather than the God that we are waiting on to supply our needs. And so, um, my response was bitterness when God didn't give me what I wanted. And for the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, I really struggled with looking around at what all the other people around me had that I wanted and and just being angry and wondering why God was withholding something good. But, you know, here I am years and years removed from it. And I can look back and see so much goodness in God's no to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of my boys are adopted And I 
if the Lord had said yes, when I first asked him for a child, these two boys would not be in my home. Yeah. There's just, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many other things, um, just going through hard things in your life as a ministry family is actually a gift from the Lord because it teaches you empathy and it helps you to minister to hurting people in your church. Because as I, we first started you know, out in church ministry, if we had never had any hard things happen, I'm not sure we would have known how to encourage our church families who were going through hard times. And so, um, walking through infertility and then later the other issues that I mentioned in the book, it felt like wandering. It felt like circling in a desert and just wondering what in the world is the Lord doing to me? What is He doing with my life? I feel like I'm just wasting away. But really what He was doing was preparing me for the future. He was preparing me for two boys who would join our family by adoption. He was preparing us for church ministry to be able to love people and to learn how to minister to them in their own pain. Yeah. So what, what would you say to someone who's obviously going through a time of suffering like you were with um, wanting infertility, infertility and God withholding or wanting a baby and God withholding that? Like, how do you because um, some people I think and I've struggled with this before when you're in that God feeling like God's withholding something from you, you view that as a punishment. So how do you view um, what would you say to someone the distinction between God's withholding because sometimes God's withholding is a punishment and is discipline mm-hmm. but lots of times it's because his plan looks different than ours like how do you distinguish between yeah. the two things yeah I really go back to um and I, I'm really bad with scripture references but it's Romans 8 right there is now therefore no condemnation for yeah, those yeah. who are in Christ yeah. yeah so um the thing is is it is easy to look at whatever's going on in your life, especially if it's something that, well, we're dependent upon God for everything, but it's something that's like having a child, or maybe it's getting married, you know, someone who's single, who longs to be married, and you just, there's just nothing you can do to bring about this answer to your desire that you have. You're really just at the mercy of the Lord for this. Um, It's easy to look and say, what am I doing wrong? This must be a punishment for something in my past or something I'm doing now. Or, you know, maybe he's just going to say no as long as I'm discontent. But the issue is, I mean, while God does use trials sometimes as a form of discipline, I mean, he disciplines those that he loves to make us more into the image of Christ. But sometimes um, we we're so tempted to view it as punishment. We have to remember, like go back to Romans 8, 1, that if you are in Christ, there is no more punishment. God is not acting punitively toward you anymore because Jesus took all of the punishment for your sins at the cross. So God is not going to punish you um, in addition to what Jesus has already paid for. Because if Jesus's death at the cross really did pay for your sins, then it really did pay for your sins. And so if (laughs) God is withholding something from you, you can't say, well, he's punishing me um, because that diminishes the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross Mm. and makes it like it's not effective enough for my future sin, but Jesus's blood covers all of our sin. And so um, I think it's helpful to go to the scripture and, and remember what is true about the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. And so if God is withholding something, it is for our good. Mm-hmm. And it's because He is working things together for good for those who love Him. It is because He is disciplining us in a good way, like the way that a parent disciplines a child to um, you know, teach us to rely on Him, to teach us to trust Him. Sometimes it's just because He just knows what's best for us. And some of the things that we desire, even if they're good desires, may not be in our best interest. Yeah. And so because He is sovereign and wise, He sees the whole picture. And so um, I think it's important, I mean, it's important in every way, but to align 
yourself with scripture so that you know what is true about God and his character. And you know, what is true about Jesus sacrifice at the cross so that you don't just um, define who God is and what he's doing by your circumstances. I think that's really dangerous, but it's really tempting. Yeah. 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 And you had mentioned earlier, like when you were first talking about self-focus and how you had to start looking at the scriptures, like with a focus on God instead of yourself. And I think that's just, I mean, we all do that naturally. Like the minute it's like, we make it about us, like you were just saying, like, well, what's wrong with me? Why not me? So can you talk a little bit about how you were able to shift that? Yeah. So I think that it's really tempting to use your Bible like a physician's desk reference, you know? (laughs) So you're struggling with doubt. So you look up all the verses on doubt and the concordance, or you're struggling with fear. So you look up all the verses and, you know, I, thankfully the Bible speaks to all of our common struggles, you know, and we can go to specific passages and study them. But I think that even when we are looking for, I guess, like the cure for what ails us, whatever our situation is, we need to be really careful to remember that scripture is primarily about God before it's about us. Like it is written um, for us, but it is primarily about him. And so even the, even when we go to passages and look for, okay, what can I learn from this? We need, you know, about my life, we need to first filter it through what do I learn about God first, because He is the hero of this story. And so once we do that, I think that helps us to safely arrive at the application points we're looking at mm-hmm. or looking for, because we are first looking at, okay, let me look at this passage in light of who God is. Um, then I can look at, you know, what does it teach me about me or man or humanity in general, depending on what passage you're reading. And then I think we also need to go to the text and look for, like, what does this teach me about Jesus? How does this point me to the gospel? And filtering um, scripture through those lenses helps us to keep the rightful heroes of the story in place. Mm -hmm. And then it helps us to arrive at a safe application because I think in our human, simple, narcissistic way, we go to the Bible thinking, we are the protagonist here. (laughs) And so, and that is not true. It is, I mean, there's, the Bible is written for us. Like it, there's, we need it. It is how we know who God is, who we are, how we are to live, what happened at the cross. Like what is the story of redemption? Um, But it's so important to first look at who God is. This is his story primarily. So I think asking questions of the text when you study is one of the most helpful ways to do this. So I, I teach a method to a group of women each week, we walk through books of the Bible and we go through these steps. Okay. We're going to read this passage. What does it teach me about God? What does it teach me about man? What does it teach me about Jesus or how does it point me to Jesus if we're in the old Testament? And then how do I apply this to my life? And I've watched women who were kind of new to Bible study, learn to filter the scriptures this way. And their language just starts to change. Like instead of me, 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 it is like, him, 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 which is a beautiful thing to watch Mm -hmm. unfold. And it really changes the way you think. It changes the way you think about suffering, about waiting, because you are thinking in light of God's good plans, not our demanding desires. That makes sense. Yes, definitely. We're not rock stars with like a rider, you know? Well, we... (laughs) 
We like to be. Yeah, we want, we to, want be. to be rock stars. <laughs> We're like, yeah. we need green M&Ms. And- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> let, let me be as picky and taggy yeah. as possible and demand something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, you talked about in your, I'm about to say, you talked about in the Bible. You didn't talk about in the Bible. <laughs> no, <laughs> that is our like, we call that heresy. <laughs> um, you talk about in the book about dry spells and the um, importance of dry spells um, and how they're important to our relationship with God. And I think for so many years of my career, Christian life. Um, I lived in this, um, you would live for the mountaintops, like, (laughs) like the mountaintops are what determine how spiritual you are. But if you're in the dry spells, then there's obviously an issue between you and God. If, if you're spiritually dry. So can you like turn that kind of on its head a little bit and talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I think spiritual dry spells are so important that I wrote about it in this book and my next book. (laughs) I have a whole chapter about it in my next book that's coming out next year, because I think that again, when we go through a spiritual dry spell, we are thinking that something is wrong, you know? And so we try to medicate it. Like what's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? Where is he? Where am I? I can't get out of the spell. And it really just defines spiritual dry spell as anytime you, um, you know, maybe you're doing your spiritual disciplines of reading the word and praying and being involved in your local church, but your heart just will not engage. Everything feels, uh, well, does it, maybe you don't feel anything, feel apathy if you feel anything at all. And you can't conjure any kind of emotion towards the Lord. You feel like you're praying to the ceiling and nothing is getting anywhere. And you feel like the scriptures are not penetrating your heart. And if you notice, I use the word feel a whole lot in just that, those last couple of sentences. And that's the the real temptation of a dry spell. Dry spell is to look at what you are not feeling and let that tell you, like give you some kind of temperature of what your spiritual condition is, or you assess it by how close you feel to the Lord. But I think that spiritual dry spells, and they happen to all of us at different times for different reasons. And I don't even know what the reasons are all the time, but I think spiritual dry spells are prime opportunities to learn perseverance Mm -hmm. because perseverance by its very definition, well, my definition of it is just plodding forward when things are hard. When everything in you like presses against and tells you to quit. Perseverance is something you learn to do when it's hard. You don't learn perseverance when life is easy and great and awesome and you're living on the mountaintop of spiritual experiences. But the thing is that those mountaintop spiritual experiences, like maybe you go to a conference or a concert or you have a really great day at church and your heart just feels very full of emotion. Like those are wonderful times. But those like don't happen that often and they really can't sustain. You need all the time in between those mountaintop experiences to persevere so that you keep growing spiritually because really it's that day in and day out going to the scriptures, praying to the Lord that teaches you um, that whether you're in plenty, whether you're in feast or in fallow, He is enough for you. Whether your heart feels engaged or not, He is still enough for you. And it's believing truth over emotion, knowing that if He has promised to be with me in Scripture, then even if I don't feel like He's near, I can believe in faith that He is because He always keeps His promises. So it's learning to believe truth rather than your emotions. And then I think waiting for your emotions to catch up, so to speak, because sometimes our emotions um, can be really helpful. I mean, God has given us emotions, but we also need to bring them into submission to 
scripture. And so we don't need to let them speak what is true over our life unless they are aligned with scriptures. So um, dry spells are a good opportunity to train ourselves to default to scripture, even when we don't feel like it. And I think the real gift in that is that later in life, when you come up against suffering or a trial, you have used maybe a spiritual dry spell to teach yourself to just go to the scriptures. So then when you go through a hard time, it's already your default response to go to the scriptures. So you don't go anywhere else. You go to the place that you've been going to for however long it's been. And the thing about the Bible is that it's not like other books. It's not a novel or just a history book or just a book of poetry. I mean, these are God's inspired words. And so even when you're reading and you feel like you're not absorbing, the Holy Spirit lives in you Mm -hmm. and the word will not return void. I mean, the Lord will do his work through the scripture. So I think that we are absorbing more than we really think that we are. And so as we press through dry spells, it's so easy to get discouraged and just quit. Like this isn't working. I need to find something else that works. But when we look at scripture, I mean, the habits of prayer, and reading scripture and being involved in the body of Christ, those are the things that God has given us to draw close to Him. And so we don't need to try something different. We just need to keep doing the old stuff. And eventually, I mean, in my experience, at least, my heart will catch up. And sometimes it's a long time. Um, But those habits are the things we want to quit or the things that will actually help us persevere through a dry spell. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that a lot of time, or at least for me, when I'm in places like that, I think like, well, I don't want to fake it. You know, like I don't, yeah. want, it's faking it if I'm not feeling it, but really it's, it's just investing in who you want to be long-term. Right. Like, oh so yeah. Like, I don't see it as faking. I know. Um, it's, I had somebody say that to me just recently. Like she was like, I don't want to do these things when I don't feel like it. Cause it feels like I'm faking it. Yeah. I think it's just obedience. Right. You know, yeah. it's obedience, which doesn't always feel good or easy, but yeah. we do it until it becomes a more natural response and we obey whether we feel like it or not. I mean, yeah. we follow Jesus or we don't. And so, you know, if we just wait to follow him until we feel like it, we may not ever come back. Yeah. And so obedience really matters there. Yeah. yeah. So you also talk about feel this feeling of um, silence from God, like through the adoption process. And you can, you can pick which one of these you want to talk about, but you talk about the seasons <laughs> of silence from God during the adoption process, issues with um, church, um, things that were happening in your church that were difficult. And then um, more specifically that I'd really like to get into was the chronic physical pain you went through. And so, kind of the question underlying all of that is why is doubt, and you talk about this in the book, is doubt our first instinct when we experience what we deem as silence from God in those hard spots? I think you can trace that all the way back to Eden. You know, when Eve is standing next to the tree and the enemy says to her, you know, well, did God really say that this would happen if you eat this fruit? I mean, her first reaction is to doubt God at his word. And, you know, as sin entered the world and has touched and infected everything, I just think doubt is where our human brains are wired to go. It's just to disbelieve God at every turn. I think that's a theme you see throughout all of scripture, mm-hmm. um, specifically in the people of God in the Old Testament, just doubting Him constantly. And so, um, and that was when they were hearing from God, you know, out loud or seeing His presence, His glory settling Fire in the tabernacle. Smoke, over yeah. The t- <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. they, there were times where like He's hovering over a mountain and they couldn't even touch it or they would fear falling dead. And, and, 
and, and yet they still managed to doubt him right away. So we're not exempt from that. You know, as fallen people with hearts that need to be renewed, I mean, doubt is just this part of a sin condition that we have. And so then when we go through something hard and we're praying and praying and feeling like God isn't listening to us, then, I mean, doubt is it's just the first response. Yes. We're not unique in that. Um, and I, I, you know, those things you mentioned, we went through a really difficult adoption process kind of at the end of this long six, seven year struggle with chronic pain that I had been dealing with. Um, and it's interesting because we were going through a lot of turmoil in our church ministry, really, really hard stuff. We wanted to quit constantly really hurtful. Uh, my husband and I were just pretty broken down people wondering why in the world are we serving in the local church? Everybody hates us. <laughs> so, um, I didn't know it then, but I had some health, uh, things pop up, some weird symptoms that didn't seem related. I know now that they were symptoms of an autoimmune disease. And if you know anything about autoimmune disease, a lot of times it can be dormant and then be triggered by stress. And so I can look at the timeline of my life and know that the turmoil in church ministry is absolutely what triggered it. I had stopped mm-hmm. sleeping. I had terrible uh, digestive problems just from stress um, and lots of headaches. And then I developed a chronic pain condition in my spine, which seemed really weird and really unrelated to everything else that I was dealing with. And I saw lots of doctors and over the years, my pain got worse and worse and worse until like the fifth year of it, I lost weight. My hair was falling out. I had all these weird rashes on my skin. I had just chronic digestive issues and um, my spinal pain was keeping me awake most nights. I would get in bed about 10 and I would wake up routinely between 2 and 3 a.m. Just in excruciating pain. I felt like my spine was on fire. I couldn't stand up straight or sit down or laying down was actually the worst. And so um, I would move to my couch every night in the middle of the night and I'd have uh, heat packs and ice packs and nothing really helped. And I just felt like my health was deteriorating. I was sure I had like a tumor on my spine or something. I had all these scans and no one could tell me what was wrong with me. And just, you know, during that time, we're still going through the church uh, problems. I'm having you know years and years of pain, and we were also in the adoption process. And at the height of my pain, we got a call about a baby, and we traveled out of state um, to meet him. And we, when you adopt across state lines, you have to stay in that state for at least a week, sometimes. It's longer. You have to wait for this paperwork to go through. So we were getting to know him and staying with some friends. And, um, you know, I was able to kind of shelf my chronic pain issues, although it was really bad during that time. And as we were getting ready to come home, we got a call from our attorney that the whole thing was coming apart. And I mean, we were heartbroken, but they told us to to go home and to take the baby with us. And we would just start this long court proceeding. And um, we ended up over the next eight months going back and forth to this other state. It was like seven hour drive one way with an infant. And then we had a seven year old at the time. And my health was just about, I mean, it was so fragile. I really thought I was losing my mind because no one could tell me what was wrong with me. And I knew it wasn't imagined. And we ended up going to court several times. And um, on one of those trips, I ended up with an eye condition that I, I, I 
was afraid I was losing my vision. I couldn't see very well. My eyes were very red and I had a terrible headache behind my eyes. I'm like, great. Now there's, here's a new symptom and I don't know what's wrong with me. And when I went home, an eye doctor looked at me and said, I think that you have a um, systemic disease and I want you to go get some genetic testing done. And so I did. And it turned out that I had a a disease called ankylosing spondylitis, which is kind of a mouthful, but (laughs) it made all of my symptoms make sense. And so, um, yeah, but I'm going to tell you, it was incredibly painful and it took a long time to get any relief even after being treated. And so, um, so going through those years of pain, having this adoption that was falling apart, which meant that for eight months, I rocked it baby every night and have to give up the next day. And then, um, you know, the continual issues with church and being very unsettled in our ministry here, it just felt like too much. I mean, I really, there are times I wrote in my journal, like, Lord, I just think you're killing me. Mm-hmm. I mean, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I am bankrupt. I have nothing. I don't know. I mean, I could just tackle one day at a time. I couldn't think about the next day because there would be too much potential loss. My health could get worse. We could lose the baby. We could get fired, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I, I felt like the Lord was very quiet during those days. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do, which was something I had learned in a long dry spell, which was to get up in the morning and open my Bible and say, Lord, who are you? And, and, and what are you doing? And it really was that process that helped me see that when he is silent or he seems to be silent, he is still present. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And though the circumstances we're living through might be crushing, he doesn't abandon us. He may use that time of silence just to teach us to lean especially hard on him. And honestly, what better place could you be? Rather than having to, I mean, we always need him at all times, but during those really desperate days, we are just so much more aware of it. And it's a good place to to be, to know that you have nothing without him. Yeah. Yeah. So you you talked about, I mean, you learned a lot, obviously, through the process of pain and other people I know that have, I mean, I don't think unless you've ever gone, I've never gone through chronic pain, but unless, from what I understand from other friends, unless you've gone through it, it's it's very hard to describe how the pain changes you, um, just Mm -hmm. not just physically, but just emotionally and mentally and all of those things. But um, you talked um, in the Bible about the difference between praying for deliverance versus praying for our need to receive the deliverer. And um, kind of along with that, how you were, you came to a place um, afterwards where you're glad that um, he didn't heal you first um, because then your relief would have been your treasure. Can you talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit? So I think that, you know, we have to be careful. When, God is the giver of good gifts. And so he is the one that we pray to for whether it's relief from pain or it's just release from a, a difficult situation or maybe like you're like me, it was for a child or for a ministry that was not always failing. Um, you know, he is the one we pray to. So we, we don't want to diminish the fact that he is the one who gives us good gifts and we want to thank him and praise him for when he does do those things. And yet that doesn't mean that when he, that we don't praise him when he doesn't give us those things. Um, you know, he is always good and always faithful. And so if he has, deemed it necessary to withhold something, then we can still praise him for being kind and good and faithful. And what I learned is that, you know, while I'm living with chronic pain specifically, 
the desperation that I felt kept me near his side just every day. I, I was just struggling so much. And, you know, I think one of the issues with chronic pain is that it messes with your head a lot. And it's, I mean, physically, there's a condition called brain fog that happens with autoimmune disease a lot. And I struggled with that. I felt fuzzy around the edges a lot and lots of fatigue, but then also just feeling like there there's nowhere else I can go. I mean, who else is, you know, there were people who wanted to say things like, you know, God's got this or it'll get better, but yes, God does have this, but you know, no one could promise me that my situation was going to change. So what I had to deal with is if my situation never changes, is God still good? Is he still enough for me? Mm -hmm. Or is he only good if he changes my situations. And and if I examine that, then what I'm treasuring is a changed circumstance rather than God, who is, um, you know, our, our Lord, our Savior, the author and sustainer of life. And so if he had delivered me from my suffering, as soon as I asked him, I think I would have valued the escape more than I valued him. And so in many ways, I'm thankful that he kept taking, scriptures to teach me about who he is um, before ending or, or coming to an end of chronic pain because I needed to treasure him for who he was, not just what he could give me. You know, otherwise yeah. I was treating him like Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle and just going to him for what, you know, what can he give me? What can he do for me? You know, again, yeah. it's kind of that self-focus of me, 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 rather than what are his good purposes in this? What is he doing? How is he being faithful? And so it was, it was good for me to have to depend upon him rather than just the release that he could offer me. Now I say all that and say, I am not in the amount of pain that I was in three, four years ago. And I'm so thankful to him, but I'm also thankful that he didn't bring me out of that until he had taught me what I needed to learn about him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about going to God and praying because we are called to bring our cares to him. Right. And the things that yeah. we're struggling with. And um, you talk a little bit in um, the book about um, lamentations and mm -hmm. how we don't like to go to. I, I personally, that's not my favorite book of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know, the Psalms that are the lament Psalms aren't my favorite Psalms. Right. Yeah. Um, so but we are we are called to lament. There there are times yeah. and seasons in, in our lives where we have to lament. You obviously there was lots of lamenting when you were going through chronic physical pain and trying to figure out what was wrong with you physically. So what is the difference between lamenting, which is a scriptural process and just complaining? <laughs> right. Um, I think the real difference is what are you saying with your lament and how long are you staying? in that lament. So if you're, I, I mean, I think lament, when I look at the Psalms specifically, I think of stating your case before the Lord and just saying, this is everything that's happening and it is truly terrible. And Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm grieved. And I think I'm so thankful that we have those Psalms in scripture because they give us the language that we need mm -hmm. to express our grief before the Lord and helps us to know it's not sinful to express your grief before the Lord. He expects you. He knows your heart better than you do. And so we have the language of the Psalms to help us state our case before the Lord and say, this is incredibly hard. I, you know, 
say like David, my eyes are weary from crying. You know, I'm wasting away. I can't sleep. Those types of things are very, um, you know, common experiences with grief. I think that the other gift of, of the lament Psalms, though, is that the psalmists don't always stay there. I mean, there are a couple of lament psalms where it's just a lament and that's it. Um, but for most of the lament psalms, they move you through a process. And so it begins with the lament and then usually the psalmist moves to kind of a panicked state. So they grieve their circumstances and then they start questioning everything. Like, oh my goodness, God, you have forgotten me. What am I going to do? You know, my enemies are pressing in around me. And the the tone of those verses, I'm thinking of Psalm 77, particularly, it's a good example of this. Um, and David's, you know, starts to panic. I was like, or no, it's Asaph, sorry, excuse me. Asaph is the um, author of Psalm 77. And he starts to panic about you know, I've grieved it and now I'm losing control. And so, which I think is just very humanizing, you know, like I really, uh, that resonates with me because uh, I panic about my situation. It's kind of that worry that turns to anxiety of uh, mm-hmm. what am I going to do to fix it? But then what you have, um, particularly in Psalm 77 and in other Psalms like this, the psalmist then stop to remember God's past faithfulness. And usually what you'll have in those Psalms is like a recounting of the history of Israel at times, maybe briefly, maybe like, and I think Psalm 18 is a really long history of Israel. And so they recount um, history and you're like, why is this history here in the Psalm? But what they're doing is remembering how God delivered his people whether it was from slavery in Egypt, whether it was from you know particular battles throughout their history, whether it was taking them into the promised land, they're stopping to remember what God has done and who He has been to them in the past. And then you see like a resolution in the Psalms. So they they say something like, "Therefore, you know, I will hold fast to the Lord, and I will remember His faithfulness." And so you see them move from lament to panic to remembering, to resolve, to stand firm and and believe that God is faithful. And so I think in that way, it's not complaining because you're not staying in lament and you're not necessarily saying, uh, you know, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. And then just staying there. (laughs) What they're doing is saying, this is terribly hard and I am grieved and I don't know what to do. So the only thing I know to do is to remember who you are, Lord. And and what you have done. And I think that translates for us. We grieve because our trials are hard. This is a very broken down world that we live in and our pains and sufferings and trials are very real. And yet after we lament them, we can go to the scripture and remember who God is and what he has done. And I think that practice helps us then to stand firm. So it's uh, in his book, Future Grace, uh, John Piper talks a lot about looking backwards at the past faithfulness of God and, and doing that because that is what helps us to be sure of his future faithfulness. And so I think as Christians, you know, 21st century Christians, the way we do that is we we examine scripture and look at who God is, what he has done, and that's going to help us move through the lament and and remember that he will continue to be as faithful to us as he has always been. And in that way, it's not complaining. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're not anchoring ourselves in everything that's wrong. We are, again, turning our faces and saying, who are you? What, what have you done for me in the past? Okay. 
that's very good. Because yeah. I think that's a good distinction. Because and I think I think I think you're you, going back to your um, point when you were talking is I think a lot of Christian things that think they can't even lament, like they can't bring any yeah. kind of griefs mm-hmm. before the Lord. So I think it's mm-hmm. very freeing to know that you can. We don't. We we shouldn't get stuck there, and we shouldn't be self focused. But we can we can still bring them to Him. Where He He knows our humanity. Jesus definitely mm-hmm. knows our humanity and knows that we have griefs and yeah. that we're suffering, and He's with us and we don't suffer alone and we can bring those to him. So I think it's very freeing to know that we can do that. Yeah, Um, I I agree. And I think that that really then sets the stage for you to share, okay, this is how difficult my life was, but this is how faithful God is. And I remember one time I was sharing my testimony at a church and I was talking about how, how grieved I was walking through infertility and, you know, just how weak and and broken my faith felt at the time. But then this is what the Lord taught me during that time. And after it was over, I was walking out to my car in the parking lot and this lady came up to me and she said, I just think that you feel too much and you just say too much and you just share too much. And I remember thinking, I mean, I knew her and I knew where she was coming from. (laughs) She actually had like a similar story to mine, but she was kind of of that generation that you keep your trials and troubles to yourself, kind of that bootstrap theology. Like you just pick yourself up and you handle it yourself. But I remember saying to her, you know, I I can see why, you know, my transparency might make you uncomfortable, but if I am not honest about how hard things were, then it doesn't really make a lot of sense than when I go in to tell you how faithful God was during my hard time. And so I think that when we are honest about the grief of our lament, then it really sets the stage to talk about God's faithfulness. And that is hard for some people because they feel like, saying those things out loud is maybe sinful or wrong. But again, we have the language of that in the Psalms. Like God has given us the language for it. And that's how we build intimacy with him too. I mean, you keep your struggles from your close friends or your spouse or whatever. But yeah, even if you already know it and you just talk about it, like that just builds so much intimacy and trust. Oh yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Okay, before we finish up, let's talk about how your story is not tied up in a bow. Because I think it's really easy to be like, okay, so I went through all these hard times, and then I wrote yeah. a book, and now and I learned yeah. all this stuff, and now my life is great. <laughs> so can you? You don't have to like pour out all of your um, issues right now, but just kind of yeah. talk about how that even when we learn these things and we and we start to um, see things. It, in a new way when we're going through struggles and, and we feel God's presence and, and we, all the things that you've talked about, we do those things, how it doesn't mean that everything's going to then be perfect. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Um, I, and I think you're right. I think it's easy for someone to maybe read a story and think, well, that was really hard for them, but then it's finished, you know? And yeah. so it's easy for them to reflect back on that. But my life did not, it has not turned out to be this perfect picture, perfect ending that's tied up neatly with a bow. I mean, the last month I have spent battling chronic pain again, and it's been discouraging. Um, I've been waking up in the middle of the night, moving. I mean, I remember just about two weeks, no, three weeks ago, I was, it was two, three in the morning and I was standing at my microwave, heating up my heat pack again, because my autoimmune disease had flared up for whatever reason. And, and I remember picking up my heat pack and saying, whoa, hello, old friend. <laughs> I really did not expect to meet you here in the middle of the night. And then that became my pattern for a month, you know, doing the same thing and trying to address my health again. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to go back to this place. It is so physically exhausting. And 
it, it leaves me so fatigued. And then that affects everything in my life. You know, the way that I parent, the way that I work, I, my brain is fuzzy again. I'm dealing with that brain fog and fatigue syndrome. And, and I just remember, you know, I've lived this once before for much longer time and God was near. And so the charge before me is exactly what it was then. You lean hard on the nearness of God. And while I don't love pain and I don't like having a disease that can flare up unexpectedly, um, I'm thankful that the Lord has kept some things in my life that keep me dependent upon Him. I I would like to be self-sufficient, but I know that self-sufficiency would not keep me desperate for His Word. It would make me lean on my own understanding as we, you know, hear from the Proverbs, do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And I find that I'm I'm thankful that my life isn't this wonderful, perfect picture. Um, There's, you know, here I am 15 years of infertility and every now and then there is this little stupid flicker of hope. Like, what if I could get pregnant, you know? And now I'm nearing like where I'm getting too old for that. (laughs) And so, um, you know, but I think that's, you know, I have these wonderful two boys and I love them. I would not trade them for a million biological children. But, um, you know, as a woman, there are still some things that I struggle with in regard to infertility and um, definitely less than those early years. But then, you know, and still being in church ministry, we are in a, a good place right now. The Lord has sustained us here. Thankfully, we've got some wonderful church folks who have stood by us for many years. And the Lord's doing a wonderful new work here. And yet, I mean, just this last week, I have had to battle so much bitterness because of old church hurt. And so a lot of these themes that I wrote about in my book, I'm still struggling with. And so I am still having to go back to the scriptures and and say, Lord, who are you and what are you doing to me? (laughs) And, uh, you know, having to refocus and reorient my heart to the truth that God is always near. He is always good. And sometimes his, um, you know, his ways I I can't make sense of, but I know that I can trust him because he has been faithful in the past and I know he will be faithful in the future. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for you, Glenna. Um, Glenna's, um, been a faithful friend in lots of hurt and disappointment in my own life. Um, in regards to writing, she's, she's listened to plenty of my laments. So, um, (laughs) um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your and your husband's, um, story of, we didn't talk about this very much, but just the the faithfulness and the perseverance of you guys, um, in your ministry there in Missouri. Um, because I know it's been really hard, but you have, persevered and have a great love for the church. And I'm grateful for your words on that when you write about that. So, um, thank you for being on. Is there anything else? Yes. No. Um, we're really excited about your book. It's, um, it's unique. What, what were you saying about it? That it's like, her writing is oh yeah very, if you haven't read Gunna's book which I hope after this you will um because we talked to we had the highlights but I think what's wonderful about your style of writing is you have you use beautiful prose but it's very deep spiritual truth in the middle of beautiful prose because I feel like there's there's a lot of books I mean there's books after we have authors on all the time there's book after book after book after book being written I somebody said that like publishing's dying and I'm like that can't be true because I have stacks <laughs> of books all over my house so that can't be true but um, yeah. 
I, I feel like there's a lot of women that write with very deep emotional um, connection and beautiful prose, but there's not a lot of deep theology behind it. Mm. Uh-huh. And then the other way around, there's also, there's yeah. lots of great books out there written that are very deep theology that um, nobody really wants to read unless yeah. you just are completely nerdy like me. And so <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a really good balance. It's a very good balance. Yeah. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I am really committed to truth and beauty. And um, so I I want to write in such a way that is glorifying to God and, and communicates truth, but I also want the mode of that communication to be pleasant. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and which is funny, just talking about publishing. I mean, a lot of times they publishers just want you to say it, you know, just say it. I mean, one of my editors said to me at one time during the editing process, she was so sweet. She's like, Glenna, you have such a poetic style and I love it, but sometimes I just need you to like say what you mean. (laughs) And so um, it was with their help. I feel like we found a good balance to try to weave together truth and beauty at the same time, which is, uh, was a big goal of mine. I'm thankful that my publisher helped me to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say I I kind of walked, um, through that whole process with Glenna. And I know that yeah, writing was hard. first book was very, it was, you've never birthed a baby, but I promise you that's a lot what it was like. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hard. It was so hard, but it was worth it. And I'm glad I did it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, Glenna, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking what little time I know you have with kids and all of that. But well, thanks for having me. It's just yeah, a pleasure and an honor. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye. <laughs>